Have you ever asked the question, why am I here? Maybe you ask it out loud or maybe you just ask it in your mind. Have you ever wondered the answer, what the answer to that question was? Why am I here? It's a simple question that sounds like something that might lead one to ask a counselor or a therapist. But over the course of the last couple years, I mean, so many things have happened that have caused us to ponder that question. What is this all about? Why am I actually here? I think about a sleep-deprived young mom who's in the grocery when one of her two toddlers reaches out of the grocery cart and pulls a jar of pickles off the shelf and it explodes in the middle of aisle seven and she just says aloud, why am I here? I think about a, a, a middle-aged couple who owns a small business that they have struggled so hard to keep it going over the course of the last year through this pandemic. Thankfully, business is picking up, and yet they found a whole other problem. They've tried to hire additional staff, and no one shows up for the interviews, and they are running on fumes, not sure how much longer they can keep it going. And they wonder silently, why are we here? I think about a dad of three adult children, the youngest in college, He's told by his new boss that they are letting him go. And to make matters worse, he's being replaced by one of the boss's best friends. After 16 years with the company, suddenly he's now jobless, and he wonders, who's going to hire an overweight 60-year-old man? He asks himself, why am I here? Maybe you had an earth-shaking life event recently, or you've been frustrated for longer than you can remember, or, or you just feel so overwhelmed with your life, and maybe you too have asked that question, why am I here? You know, there are points during the journey of life that the journey itself causes us to stop and ponder, to wonder that question, why am I here? Well, the title of our talk today is Purpose for Everyone. And the truth is that all of us have a purpose. There's a reason why every single person who's watching this talk exists. Everyone has a purpose. Now, purpose is defined this way. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. That last part of the definition, for which something exists. Why am I here? Why do I exist? It's a timeless question, one of the most fundamental questions asked by nearly every person who's ever walked the face of the earth. It's so vital because it questions our purpose and our personal worth. It's baffled a lot of people over the, over, over hit throughout history. After all, we played no role in our existence. None of us requested to be born, and yet one day we just appeared on this earth. So it's normal to ponder, why am I here? It's an important question to ask, and the answer one arrives at 
determines how one thinks about himself or herself and how he or she will interact with the rest of the world. Now, some people believe that we simply evolved, that life happened by chance. It started somewhere in a pool of primordial slime. There was a spark, and it was really just an accident. If that is the case, then there is no real reason for why you or I are here. If it was by accident, then our lives, well, they have no purpose. But the Bible gives a different perspective. In Genesis, the first chapter, we read the account of God creating everything. He created light and land and sea, created plants, he created birds and fish and animals. And then in Genesis 1.26, we read this. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild creatures and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man to bear his image and rule over creation. That was our first purpose. And it's still part of our purpose today. When there is a creator then each of us has meaning and purpose simply because creators create for a reason. Let me give you an example. Let's say, those of you who are bakers out there, you bake a cake. Maybe you bake it for yourself or you bake it to give to someone else. But you bake it with a purpose. Or let's say that you're a builder. Say, I built a house or you built a house. Why did you build it? Well, you built it to live in or maybe you built it to sell to someone else so that they could live in it. But you built it with a purpose. It would be meaningless to create these things with no purpose in mind. And God created us with a purpose. But the first man and woman, they kind of messed things up. They rebelled, sin entered in, and that changed everything. Listen to how Isaiah describes the results when sin enters in. He says this, but your iniquities, it's a nice word for sins, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Because of sin, man became estranged from God. If man is disconnected from a relationship with God, then he's left wondering, why am I here? Because he's disconnected from his purpose. What is my purpose? Fortunately, God had a remedy for the estrangement that we had from him. He sent Jesus to forgive sin so man might have a relationship with God and that purpose again. The Bible gives us a number of facets of this purpose. The purpose for why we're here. The answer to that question, why am I here? And I want to focus specifically today on just two of those key facets of our purpose. The first is this. My purpose is to glorify 
God. My purpose is to glorify God. Revelation 4.11, John writes, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and you, and by your will, they were created and have their being. The Old Testament word for glory, when you're referring to God, in the word glory in reference to God, that word actually refers to the idea of greatness or splendor. In the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. So if we put these two ideas together, we find that glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him. The primary reason we worship him is because he and he alone deserves to be praised, honored, and worshiped. Men and women are not here by accident. We are not here by simple chance. We are here to glorify God. So how do we do that? Well, one way we give God glory is through praise and worship, and that's one of the reasons why we gather here every week. But glorifying God goes far beyond that. Look what Paul writes in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse one. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as a means of worship, Paul says. Well, the first thing that I see in that when it comes to how we glorify God as our purpose is to use your whole self to glorify God. Use your whole self, all that makes you up, to glorify God. For many people, before they trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, they used their lives, their bodies, for sinful purposes. But now they belong to him, and they wanna use their lives, their bodies, for his glory. They can, they can do that by using their gifts, their skills, their passions, their abilities, their strengths, the list goes on and on, all the different facets of who they are to glorify God. So what are you good at? Use that for the kingdom of God. Not sure how to do that? Not sure how to use your skills or your passions or your abilities for kingdom purposes to bring glory to God? Well, then just ask him. Pray a simple prayer. God, how can I use my whole self to glorify you? And then listen and watch for ways to use your skills, your abilities, all the things that make you up, your whole life, your whole body, in order to glorify God. A number of years ago, I was privileged to know uh, an older lady by the name of Fanny Hamilton. She was in her 70s, and she had had uh, several strokes during her 70s, and this, this was a debilitating 
uh, hit to her because she had been a coach in student ministry for a number of years. She was like, in our student ministry at the time, she was everybody's grandma. And then she had the strokes, and it just, it just really limited her mobility. Unable to serve in student ministry any longer, that didn't stop her from using all that she had to glorify God. She decided that she was going to be a prayer warrior now. And so she would call me early on Saturday mornings, one of the few days that I could sleep in. I would get a call from Fanny Hamilton. And I knew that a number of other staff guys were getting calls as well. And she would call to ask, how can I pray for you? She didn't have the same skills and abilities she once had that allowed her to serve in student ministry, but she was using what she had to bring glory to God, to advance his kingdom. And in the process, it was a great blessing to guys like me. Well, there's another important way that we glorify God, and that is that even the little things can glorify God. What am I talking about? In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 31, Paul says this to the Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, he says, do it for the glory of God. That last phrase, whatever you do there, it's kind of a catch-all. Like even, even everything else that I can't list Do that for the glory of God as well. You can feel God in the kitchen, he said. You can sense the Lord at work. You can know the presence of Jesus in menial chores. This was the message of Brother Lawrence. He was a peasant soldier who became a monk in the 17th century in France, and his His writings, his letters were compiled into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence found that God was in everywhere. He was everywhere. The Lord can be present when you scrub pots as much as he would be present when you were on top of a mountain. And as Paul encouraged in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, everything that Brother Lawrence did including the smallest of things, like washing dishes. He did to bring glory to God. Even the little things can glorify God. So when you wonder, why am I here? Remember, your purpose is to use your whole self, everything you are, even the most insignificant things, the great things, the skills, the abilities, and even the little things to glorify God. Well, there's a second facet of our purpose that comes from Scripture, and it's this. Our purpose is to prepare for eternity. Our purpose is to prepare for eternity. Moments before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us our mission. We often refer to this as the Great Commission. We read it in Matthew, the 28th chapter, starting with verse 18 and following. It says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Now here's the mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and his followers and he gives us, at that moment, his elevator speech. That's a, that's a one or two minute kind of overview of the mission. This was a very short talk. In fact, in the 61 word address, Jesus gives direction to his followers to get as many ready for eternity as possible. God wants a relationship with everyone on this planet. You will never lock eyes with a person who Jesus did not die for. In 2 Peter, the third chapter, verse nine, Peter writes this, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient, Peter says, because he doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. We often say, let's increase the population of heaven. What we do here, let's, let's do what we do here to the best of our ability with the hope and the intent that we're gonna expand the roles of heaven. Yet if a person is confused about why they are here, he or she may end up pursuing pleasure or wealth or fame as a purpose for their life and they, they miss out on spending eternity in heaven. You see, the easiest way to prepare a person for eternity is to tell them the story of how Jesus can help them escape hell how he can forgive their sins and they can be part of God's family and spend eternity with God in heaven. Jesus promoted that we have an eternal perspective. That was a goal, that was an objective. He wanted us to not just see this here and now, but he wanted us to to know about what is to come. He asked in Mark the eighth chapter, verses 36 and 37, he says, what good is it For someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus asked a very important question. Is there anything in this life worth losing your soul over? And we know the answer. You put it in that context, the answer is simply no. So it's important that our focus is on our purpose, that we're not left to our own desires because we'll chase after wealth and fame and pleasure. But in the end, that doesn't satisfy. I wanna share two objectives that come from the Great Commission for every one of us who's a Northeast owner. The first is this. Let's make Lexington the hardest place on earth to go to hell from. 
Let's make this the hardest place. If, if somebody is going to go anywhere eternally, we want to make Lexington the place where people are going to go to heaven, not hell. It's going to be actually hard for them to go to hell if they live near us. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And in Mark, the 12th chapter, he gives the answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If we're going to prepare people for heaven and make Lexington the hardest place on earth to go to hell from, then we must love God, and it must be obvious, and then we must love our neighbors as ourselves. Many of you will remember we started this year with a sermon series titled, We Love 40509. I was recently asked if we loved other zip codes, and my answer was, of course we do. In fact, sometimes you might even hear me say, we love the 40509 and beyond. Because the truth is, we love everybody. But the purpose behind the We Love the 40509 series was that we want to live out our mission to get as many ready for eternity as possible. And that has to start by showing love to our neighbors. The purpose was to intentionally connect with those living near 990 Starshoot so that if they thought about attending a church or visiting a church, that they'd think about checking Northeast out because we're close by, but more importantly, because they know we care about our neighborhoods. This doesn't mean that we love other zip codes less, but it does mean that we will love those who live near 990 Starshoot, and we will be intentional about that by connecting with Liberty Elementary, the various neighborhoods that we're close to, to businesses that are near us, in order to build relationships and show kindness and to minister to needs and pray whenever it's possible for us to do those things. To paraphrase author Liz Curtis Higgs, we want to bloom where we're planted. We want to make a difference here at this corner, a starshoot and pink pigeon. And we want to build relationships with the people here in order to earn the right to tell them the most important message of all time, that God loves them. And they mean the world to him. In fact, so much so that he sent his son to pay the price for their sins. We should leverage every opportunity to influence every person we can to convince them to follow Jesus. Well, there's a second objective of the Great Commission that I want us to focus on, and that is that we should prepare people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Prepare people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, that starts by getting in a group that is discipling others and get discipled, or start a group and begin discipling a few. You should be doing one or, the, one or the other. Start equipping a few who will then carry on the message. And in the process, you will actually be multiplying your influence. Several years ago, I was asked by four young ministry associates when I, was, when I worked at South and Christian 
And all of these young men were in their early 20s. They asked me if I would be willing to disciple them. And I agreed that I would, and thus began this very special season of my life. These guys were all married, and most of them were in the process of starting their families. They either had children or they were preparing that in that direction. And we spent a year studying the Bible, praying together, praying for one another to be better husbands and fathers and ministry leaders. And you know, as I was thinking about that time I spent with those guys, nothing really catastrophic happened. There weren't any great epiphanies where we went, oh, my life will never be the same. It, there was nothing significant like that that happened during that time of discipling. But one thing that did happen was all of us learned more about ourselves, myself included. We learned about our wives. We learned about our kids. And we grew in our faith in the process. Our relationships developed and we became brothers and it's a great blessing that I stand and I get to say this, that all four of them are leading a ministry today, 20 plus years later. Never underestimate how much God can do through you when you're willing to serve him by investing in others, by discipling them. Sometimes people need someone to see godly potential in them. That someone believes that they can make a real difference in this world. They can make a difference that will help to prepare other people for eternity. Encouraging them to lead a prayer when they've never prayed in public before or to, to lead a Bible study when they've never done that before. Maybe for the first time after they do that, they get a vision of how God could work through them to influence others. I never understood how significant that was until this happened. Rusty was an associate who worked with me for several years in young adult ministry, and then when I transitioned to another area, he took over leadership of that department. Here we are back in the late 90s, early 2000s. One day, Russ asked me if I could talk, and I went to his office, and he asked me about an idea that he had. He was thinking about taking this Bible study called Young Adult Bible Study and moving it and making it, to, making it into a weekend service that would focus on young adults and college-age students. I, he wanted to know what my opinion was on that, and so I asked him several questions, and I I wanted to hear his vision about it, and then I told him this. I told him that I thought it was a, a good idea and he should pursue it, and I trusted that if he had prayed and sought God, that God would open the necessary doors if this was actually God's plan. God would make it happen. So a few months later, the 608 service started, and as many of you know, it was a huge success. It was a number of years later, many years later actually, Rusty and I were 
together, and we were reminiscing about that conversation. He brought it up, and he told me that he had floated that idea with another senior staff member who wasn't nearly as encouraging, and he said, I left that meeting uh, discouraged, not thinking that this would ever happen. And then he said that after my encouragement of his idea, he was confident that he should step out on faith and launch that new service. I was blown away. I never felt that emphatic or that significant. Actually, it was just a little bit of encouragement. I had no idea how much influence you can have with just a little encouragement. Since the 608 service started, literally thousands of young adults have attended that service and worshiped there, prayed to God there, grown in their faith because of the messages preached there. And through that service, hundreds have surrendered to follow Jesus since its beginning, all because of a big vision that almost never happened except for a little nudge of encouragement. You never know how much your encouragement or your prayers or your support can impact those who you disciple. In fact, they may, with the right discipling and encouragement and coaching, go on to do even more significant things than you. You have a purpose, and when you live out your purpose, you can make an eternal difference. There'll be people in heaven someday because you lived out your purpose. But none of that happens unless you plan to pursue your purpose. We need to plan to glorify God. We need to plan to prepare for eternity. What happens when we don't plan is that we end up doing whatever we feel like at the moment. The prodigal son is a great example of this. He thought his life was about pleasure and wild living. He was living in the moment. He was living without a care for the future. And the problem with that kind of thinking is that for most people, the famine eventually comes. It's a dead-end street. You see, when our life purpose is simply enjoying all the pleasures that we can in the moment, then the things we do become less and less satisfying until we finally come to a place where we're completely dissatisfied with the things of this world. The answer to the question, why am I here, will always include trusting God that the purpose he created you for will give you meaningful reason to be here. And God has a purpose just like that. It gives you a reason, a meaningful reason to be here. Let me close with this. Robert Murray McShane was a Presbyterian minister, a godly man, He one day was passing out evangelistic tracts when he handed one to a well-dressed lady. She gave him a stern look. She was somewhat offended. And she said to him, sir, do you not know who I am? 
In his kind way, McShane replied, Madam, there is coming a day of judgment, and on that day, it will make no difference who you are. What will make all the difference is if you have put your faith in Jesus. McShane is exactly right. It won't matter what we've done in this life as far as what we've attained or what we've assembled or how successful we might have been by the world's eyes. What will matter is whether or not we put our faith in Jesus. When that happens, you put your trust and your hope and your faith in him, you will be able to live with a purpose that will give you meaning and significance for all eternity. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, then I want to invite you to take that step, that very first step, to just check it out. You can check it out on our app by filling out a Connect card and sending a note to us, or you can go to notestomani at nccleax.org and you can send an email to us, and I'd love to follow up with you and talk to you about what it means to actually put your faith in Jesus, commit your life to him and follow him, and start living your life out on purpose. Everyone can and should live a life of purpose. But you need to know, the very first step toward a life like that is a step toward Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have created us with a purpose. The question is, why am I here? And hopefully it's a little clearer today if people have been asking that because you have created for us a purpose for this life. Lord, I pray that for each of us, you will show us how to live out that purpose just a little bit better, how to refine that, or maybe for the first time, to, to, to engage in living that purpose. Show us how to glorify you, God. Glorify you even in the smallest of things. To dedicate our entire bodies, our lives, all of our abilities to you, but even in the most insignificant things, God, that we would do them in a manner that would bring you glory. Lord, show us how to prepare for eternity. Not just our own lives, but for the lives of those around us. Lord, I pray for our neighbors here in Hamburg and the surrounding, the surrounding communities, Winchester, Richmond, Georgetown, of course, the rest of our city here in Lexington. God, I pray for you to move in a way that we would see a harvest come, God. We pray for lives to go from death to life. People go from darkness to light because of an encounter that they have with you that changes everything. Use us, God, to prepare people for eternity. We don't want to waste any moments here. We don't want anyone to miss out on being part of your family, God. I pray, Lord, that we will 
see our purpose and grow in our purpose so that the day, this day, is not wasted on ourselves, but it might be used to bring glory and honor to you, advancing your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. In today's message is we've been reminded of the purpose that God has for our lives. Here at Northeast, we want to encourage you to discover your next step for Jesus. And if you've never taken that step, our team would love to talk to you. You can click on the link in the comments below, send us an email to notestomani at ncclex.org, or at any time, send us a message here on social. Lastly, we always want to worship through the gifts of generosity. And so if you've partnered with us, we are so thankful for you that have joined with us and that have supported our ministry here at Northeast. You can give online, through the mail, through the Church Center app. And again, we are so appreciative of your generosity. So that's it for today. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you in person here at 1045 or again next week online at 9 or 1045. That's all for today. Have a great week and thanks again for joining us.